0: Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, frustration in ministry. But before we jump into that topic, Let me remind you of all of the resources that we have available for you at chrismoles.org. In particular, you know it's coming because I talk about it every week on the podcast, in particular, PeaceWorks University. I mean, I bring it up, guys, because PeaceWorks University is the next best step. If you are benefiting from the PeaceWorks podcast and you want to grow in your understanding of domestic abuse from a gospel-centered perspective, Peaceworks University is the next best step. You can learn more about Peaceworks University, our online membership community at chrismoles.org. So, today, I want to talk to you a little bit about frustration, and not just in a general way either, but in a very specific way. You know, I come to you week after week after week, and I try to maintain a specific demeanor, I'm really intentional about being an encouragement. When we first began PeaceWorks years ago, one of the catchphrases, one of the lines that I kept repeating, and something that I have to keep reminding myself of time and time again, is that we want to be a voice of hope. There's many voices out there that are negative, condemning, demeaning, uh, and again i'm not wanting to disparage those voices or cast judgment on voice on those voices there's a lot of things to be critical of when it comes to the church's response of domestic abuse do not get me wrong but we've always wanted to be as positive as we can be in the face of very hard difficult wicked things and i think we do a pretty good job of that here at peaceworks it's been something that we really strive to accomplish with that said That doesn't mean that there are not weeks and days and months where we get frustrated. In particular, I get frustrated with the church's response to domestic abuse, with the many things that are missed, the ways in which victims, in particular women, are criticized and strung along, and cases are drug out, and perpetrators are given the benefit of the doubt, and that can weigh heavy on anyone's heart. But, you know, in recent months, in the midst of what some might call the culture wars, there has been kind of an increasing negative response to some of the work that we do and other wonderful advocates do. Now, I, I know there are times, and you've probably heard me talk about this in the past, where pastors, church leaders have a very difficult time hearing ad, advocates who are who who are functioning out of anger and hurt and pain. And sometimes advocacy can turn to activism and activism can turn to attackivism, where we attack people far more than we attack problems. Now, I understand the difficulty of that. That's a barrier that I think we can overcome. It begins by being self-reflective and introspective enough to ask questions, hard questions of ourself and how we're seeking to address the problem of abuse. However, there are other times when great advocates, I mean, well-intentioned, well-trained, healed, positioned, spirit-filled advocates are functioning on behalf of Jesus and on behalf of victims and are still met with not just criticism and not just harsh words but wicked responses. That's frustrating. If you're a church leader, you're a pastor, you're a counselor who's trying to learn about this topic, domestic abuse in the Christian home, in the Christian world, can I just offer you a word of encouragement? Be a learner. There are wonderful, wonderful people out there that are giving us incredible new and great and gracious information that can benefit us as we help others. And we can't get caught in the culture war to such a degree that we are so leery of being politicized or labeled or put into a theological category that we don't belong in that we will not listen to good individuals, well-intentioned, well-trained individuals. What do I mean by that? Well, Mm -hmm. lately... I've had conversations over the past couple months with friends who've been threatened with church discipline, for instance. Why? What's their crime? What's their sin? Helping a victim be safe. I mean, you look at the evidence, you interact with the parties, you have the conversations, and at the end of the day, what is the charges leveled against my friend? They helped someone. But in that helping, in that helping, the church's leadership, their sensibilities were shaken. They were offended. And they began to wield the weapon of church discipline, I believe, unfairly. You know, I have another friend, other friends, I should say. Many friends whose teaching content has been censored in the last few months by church leaders by conference officials by employers and by friends who are not sure that's the optics that we want to present as an institution what optics that we care for victims that we want to hold perpetrators accountable years ago I was introduced in a uh, conference setting and the the MC the 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 leader of the conference, introduced me. and, And in his introduction, he said, Chris talks about a very controversial topic. It has always stuck with me. What is so controversial about wanting to protect women and children? What is so unsettling about intervening on behalf of someone who's being abused? And why, within good Churches within good Christian culture, we still see this backlash where friends are threatened, where friends are censored, where friends are potentially going to lose their jobs, where others are losing friends, and some are even losing their faith. Church leaders, we have to wake up to this. We got to put our pride down for a little bit and listen to experts who are doing the work I'm not suggesting you change your theology. I'm not suggesting you change your church polity. I'm really not. I'm just suggesting that we calm down and listen. I often have people who push back to me about how domestic abuse work has so few biblical categories and I cannot wrap my head around about where that notion is coming from. We don't have biblical categories for understanding domestic abuse. So I want to spend the second half of our conversation today just unpacking some of that. You've heard my frustration. You've heard my frustration. Church, we've got to stop attacking helpers, and we've got to start attacking the problem. We've got to stop leveling our power against those who may threaten our feelings of authority and begin leveling our power as it were, to help and give hope to the suffering and the oppressed. It's time that we start living like Jesus. Is that fair enough? So let me tell you a little bit about biblical categories. Someone comes and they say, you know, hey, this is a cultural topic that you've been influenced by the culture. You're spouting liberalism or whatever then let me ask a few questions of church leaders who are listening and just please self-reflect. Does the Bible have anything to say about physical violence? I'm assuming that your gut reaction is, well, of course, does the Bible contone physical violence? Well, some may say that it does, but I think a very healthy reading of the scripture would say that it does not. That we believe that people are made in the image of God that we believe that acts of physical violence and assault fall into the Galatians 5 category of the works of the flesh. We believe that Jesus called us to love our enemies in the context of Romans physically harming oppressed people and Jesus calling his followers as oppressed people not to fight back in kind. Don't use violence against violence. We know that our leaders... Are called to nonviolence. Think about Titus one. Uh, think about the the pastoral qualifications that Paul gave to Timothy. We are to be nonviolent, gentle. This is part of our DNA. So we don't have biblical categories for that. Certainly, you would agree that physical violence violates the heart, will, and image of God. If that's true, then sexual violence is a gross violation of the same concept, is it not? And sexual violence falls outside of the will and the heart of God. We would agree to that, wouldn't we? Okay, so so Chris, we get that. Uh, Many people will come back and say, absolutely. We want to help those who are physically assaulted or sexually assaulted. If that is the case, then where are the policies, procedures, and support in place to help those who help those? Come alongside the helper, please, church. Give them the resources, the time, the room, the space, and the authority to step in and to help those who've been physically and sexually assaulted. Well, let me ask you this. While we're on the topic of biblical categories, do you think the Bible speaks to threats? I mean, if physical violence and sexual violence are clear, clear violations of the heart and will and against the image of God, then do threats of harm fall into that? What about passages like, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul speaks about corrupt talk, talk that tears people down. What about um, the Proverbs? Maybe just even a, a sample of the Proverbs, like Proverbs 29, that tells us that the fool gives full vent to his anger. Would threats of harm fall into those categories? Do we have a biblical framework for what it means to interact with somebody who threatens to harm us? or threatens to harm others. I would hope so. I would hope that we would see that that type of intimidating, manipulating, threatening language falls within biblical categories that require a response. What about persecution? Well, surely we have categories for that. We've seen that throughout church history. We've read Fox's Book of Martyrs or we've read The Martyr's Mirror or we've read the New Testament. We know that people who are persecuted for their faith, that there is a white hat and a black hat in that situation, do we not? We know that someone persecuted for their faith is suffering and in need of help, and the persecutor is in need of confrontation. And yet when it comes to categories of domestic abuse, we tend to hem-haul around, let's just be honest, and not see the effects of persecution because we don't see the direct correlation of faith. Is that true? Well, Chris, we need biblical categories. Well, we have some for physical harm. We have some for sexual harm. We have some for threat and threatening behavior. I think we have some for persecuting or persecutory behavior, however that is worded. What about the biblical category of reviling? the use of words to harm or to control someone yeah there's biblical categories for that think through the passages that talk about the ways in which your words harm a reviler is not someone who's just careless with their words they're deliberately harmful with their words and we're going to dismiss individuals who bring up cases of verbal and mental abuse because we don't think we have biblical categories for it isn't not more true that we're fearful of the result of our intervention than we are the necessity for the intervention we need to intervene on behalf of those who are suffering and if someone is living with what the bible would call a reviler for decades with no hope, no voice, no empowerment, and someone who loves them and cares for them and understands the dynamics and impact of the problem steps in and tries to give aid, we should not attack that person for giving aid. We should resource that person. Oh, if there's problems with their theology where it differs than ours, then offer correctives. Oh, if we we differ on certain points of intervention, have discussions. But I'm frustrated today, guys, because too many times we're, for lack of a better term, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We're assaulting the concepts that are clearly identified in scripture, clearly the responsibility of Christians. And because of our discomfort or our sensibilities or our unwillingness to listen and learn, we're leaving people in a destructive wake, sometimes based on policy, sometimes based on preference sometimes based on ignorance. And that's frustrating. I hope you as a church leader are frustrated today. Knowing that there are people in your communities that want to help in the name of Jesus, they want to help with biblical resources. They want to help be constructive rather than destructive and are often hindered um, because of cultural criticisms, because of being afraid of joining a movement accidentally or being labeled incorrectly. The excuses of, we don't have biblical categories, I think it falls short, gang, I, th- I really do. Physical violence, sexual violence, the threat of harm, the threat of sexual harm, persecution, reviling. You know, one more to consider is the misuse of power. And this is where I think we in the conservative church actually should have very clear vision. And if I can just be critical one last time and then talk to you for a moment about how much I love you, sometimes I think we love our theology of authority more than we love our theology of of whatever, (laughs) if that makes any sense. I, I think our theology of power sometimes is completely upside down from what Jesus taught us. I mean, in Mark 10 and Matthew 20, he gave clear instructions to his disciples that the heathen or the pagan or the kingdom of the world uses power to control other people, to lord over other people, to push down on other people. And he says very clearly, it cannot be this way among you. I mean, he gave his disciples, and I believe all of us, an imperative that power, when given, cannot be used to control other people. It must be used to empower other people. Because he says, if you want to be first, be last. If you want to be great, be a servant. I don't know. Sometimes I get frustrated because I see leaders and churches and folks who are critical of the work that we do, and some that even try to undermine the work that we do. And some of the biggest problems, the biggest critiques, is this disrespect for authority, that we don't respect the husband's authority or the pastor's authority. What about God's authority? What about scriptural authority? What about scriptural sufficiency? What about the things that we committed our life to when we committed to follow Jesus? I don't know about you guys, but I didn't sign up to follow an institution or a man or a leader. I signed up to follow Jesus. And when he called me into leadership, uh, Lord help me, it wasn't to tell people what to do. It was to give people hope. To give them a foundation they could stand on. To equip the saints for the works of ministry. That's my heart. PeaceWorks podcast, we've always wanted to be a voice of hope. And my prayer is today that you as a church leader, even though you've heard my frustrations, that you would have hope. Because there are wonderful, wonderful people are devoting their time their energy their health their family their resources to bringing the gospel to hurting people in the midst of domestic violence and they need you they need your support so my prayer for you today is that amidst all the frustration, you'd be able to hear my heart. Church leader, ministry leader, counselor, pastor, we need your help. We desperately need your help so that our churches can be the safest place on the planet. Thank you for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast today. I appreciate you guys. Until next time, God bless.